Right. Morning, Reach Church. Good to have you all. Uh, the kids can be dismissed for Reach Kids. Otherwise, uh, please join me in prayer. Hmm. Father, we thank you for the chance to get to worship you. It is our great joy and delight to sing your praises and to, to remind ourselves and one another of the great salvation that we have found in Jesus Christ. Father, I think of the fact that, that when we think of our sin, we can think of, oh, blessed thought, that our sins are paid in full, that that can be our first reaction to our sin. Father, we thank you for that. And Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the spirit that you have given us. We ask that by the Holy Spirit, we might understand the things that you've written that we may understand our salvation that is found in you to the glory of your name and to the worship and praise of your mighty grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are jumping into the book of Romans. Woo! All right, this is an exciting time. So, a brand new series. Uh, we're talking about Romans for the next while. And going through a series called Romans, Unshackled, the Gospel of Grace. So this is, this is a good stuff. Uh, but you're going to you're gonna have to bear with me because this, this is not easy fluffy stuff either. So uh, it's going to be a good time though. And we're going to start uh, where everything should start really. We're going to start by talking about the gospel. The gospel. Very simple gospel. Uh, the truth of what God has done. And we talk about the gospel a lot, uh, as we rightly should. We talk about how the gospel is kind of the center of the Christian faith. How we do everything out of the gospel because of the gospel in joyful response to it. But we can throw around the word gospel and we can throw around this term and maybe some of you don't know what that actually means. Or maybe you know what it means, but maybe you, I mean, none of you will probably do. I don't feel about the gospel the way we should. That to some extent we, we understand it, but maybe don't know it in our hearts. Or some of us, we, we don't fully get it yet. That we don't know the gospel or we haven't understood it to the extent that we need to. And so this is our good chance to to focus on what the gospel is. And then all of Romans is going to be talking about how that gospel works. How it plays out. How it actually changes our lives. So, today we're talking about the gospel. And before we can stop, start kind of jumping into this, what does the word gospel mean? Oh, good news, good news. Alright, it means good news. What does gospel not mean? Don't, don't shout out that one. You probably come up with lots of things. Uh, it is, it's, not, it's not a system, kind of like a, a checklist of how to become saved. That's not the gospel. Likewise, the gospel is not kind of the secret incantation that we, we say certain words and then all of a sudden we, we get to go to heaven. We said, open says me at the right time. And that's not the gospel. And for those who are really new, when I'm talking about the gospel, a gospel is not the first four books of the New Testament. That's confusing because those are called the gospel. And so uh, 
They're the stories about the gospel, so they're called the gospels. But they're not the gospel itself. That can be confusing for new believers. They're like, well, okay, so you do everything out of these four books. You're supposed to read those four books a lot. No. Uh, the gospel is not kind of a genre of literary scripture. That's, that's the live according to your genre. That's the most boring thing ever. No. So, the gospel. Gospel is good news. It is good news. It's an event. It's something that happened in history. It's something that can be announced. That this happened. It's news. We've had a lot of bad news lately. We've had hurricanes and earthquakes and solar flares. But this is good news. Good news. So something you would announce. Like, I was trying to think of like fun, good news things. Like, like your, your great third uncle passed away and left you a million dollars. That kind of like, oh, fun news. Um, that we discovered oil in Kansas and now no one has to pay taxes anymore. Something like that. That like World War II is over. That's what a gospel is. It's something you announce and it's something that is believed or not believed, received or not received. So, today we're talking about the good news that God gives us in Christ. And we're going to see Paul talking about that gospel. And he's going to say, we're going to learn three things. The first two are kind of short. The last one is kind of the meat of it. Um, first, we're going to see that Paul has dedicated himself to this gospel, to the good news. He is totally all in and has sold himself into this. Second, we're going to see that Paul, he, he is all about sharing this good news that his life revolves around it. And he is driven to share this good news. But then finally, third, we're going to see why the good news is so good. So Paul seems to be super stoked about it, but what is so great about this good news? So let's turn to Romans 1. We're looking at a, a slightly larger passage. We're looking, uh, starting at chapter 1, going from verse 1 all the way to verse 17. <coughs> so read with me. Romans 1, 1 through 17. All right. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but have thus far been, uh, been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. 
I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, that's some meaty stuff there, so heavy. Uh, so, first off, we're going to talk about how Paul is kind of sold out for the gospel how his identity is wrapped up in this. So Paul starts with his greeting. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. All right, that is how he describes himself. He's a servant. He's an apostle. He's a, a messenger of the Lord. Set apart. He is kind of cut off from the rest of the life of everyone else because for the sake of the gospel, that he might be all about it. He's given over to the good news that he has heard. And his whole life revolves around it. And then he talks about what that gospel is. Verse 2. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So, the whole Old Testament, this whole part, is looking forward to this good news. To this event in history. And it's finally come about. And what is it? Verse 3. Concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So this gospel concerns Jesus Christ and has two main aspects. The good news is that Jesus, that God came and he came in the flesh. The first part of this is, is Christmas. That's the first part. We're excited about this God coming in the flesh. Coming as the true King David. The second part is the Easter part of it. We're excited about the fact that this Jesus came, he died, and he rose again from the dead. Proving himself to be the Son of God in glory. Now, that is the gospel. It's the event of Jesus coming and dying and resurrecting. Now, knowing that, that's, there's more meaning in what that means, but that is the event. The events of what Jesus Christ has done. And then he goes on to talk about how this Jesus is motivating him and pushing him and changing his identity. Verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So by this gospel and by this person, the God-man Jesus Christ, Paul has a mission to bring about obedience of faith. Now, what does that mean, obedience of faith? Why is that his, his focus? Essentially, there's only one thing you can do with good news, is you believe it. And his job is to go around and make people believe it. That it's a, a very simple obedience to, to have faith in that this, this event really happened. 
And his whole life revolves around that. His whole life revolves around the fact that he believes that this really happened. And he's going to tell other people that it happened. And the significance of it. So that is why he is writing. And his life is destroyed by the fact that he, he believed in this good news. He's imprisoned. He is stoned. He is whipped. He was a top dog. He was a top religious guy. And he gets totally destroyed because of his commitment to the good news. His life goes down the drain in, in the human sense because of it. He becomes a, really a slave for the gospel. And yet, I don't think he would have it any other way. It's that this gospel, this gospel is so good that he would have nothing else but, but that gospel. Now, do we, do we have something that good that we would throw our lives away to get it? That would make our lives circle around this good news? I think if we truly understand how good this news is, we would understand why Paul did what he did. And we would be the same. That we would describe ourselves as Peter, the one saved by grace of the gospel. That, that that is your identity, that is who you are, that is your mission, that is everything in your life. So that is Paul. That's, that's where he's coming from. And then he talks about, the second point, how this gospel pushes him forward, that he has to tell people about it. That it is good news, he can't help it. Look at verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So he's talking to the, to the Romans, and the Romans, they already have faith. They already believe this. That when he, he's going around trying to create obedience of faith, people to believe the good news, the Romans, they already do. And he's thanking God for that, but then he, he goes on. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So he's like desperately, desperately wanting to see the Romans, these people who have this faith already. And why, why is he so obsessed with it? Verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He wants to see them because of this faith. That though they have faith, he wants to encourage it more and strengthen it. He's pushing these people to, to believe it with all of their hearts, minds, and souls. That you can always believe it more. That there's always going to be some people in the congregation who don't really believe in it. Or those who are new and don't yet know it. Or those who are wavering. And so he wants to be there and he wants to encourage their faith to believe the good news. And then he goes on. He has a second reason. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He wants people to come to faith and to, 
to receive the good news as their own. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul, look at the, the language here. The emotion of this. He is longing for them. He, he can't help it. I'm eager to preach the gospel. I'm under obligation. There's kind of a fire inside of him. He has to share this good news because it is so good. His, his whole life is consumed by it. And it makes us ask the question, what, what consumes our life? Are you, praying, are you praying desperately to God? Like, God, please let me go to Bible study that I can get there so I can share the good news with like, my fellow brothers and encourage each other in the faith. Is that what characterizes our relationships here? Is it the good news that we're, we're good newsing each other back and forth? Is that our priority when we come together? That we remind each other of the good news? And are we desperately, eagerly longing to share that good news with others? Is it so good that we can't contain it? That's how Paul feels about it. And I'm going to say that most of us don't feel like that. I often don't feel like that. Desperate to share the gospel or just like desperate to, to connect with other believers about the gospel. But the more we understand how good it really is, the more that is how we interact with those who don't know and those who do know. Now, there's, there's different categories of people here. Some of you, you, you don't know the good news. And so you're not very excited about it. You're not sharing it. There's a good solution. You, you should hear the good news today. There's some of you who know the good news, um, and you've, you've sold in, you're, you get it, but you kind of forgot how exciting it is or what it's worth. The goodness has kind of faded. Maybe there's some of you who have heard it and heard it heard it, but just don't understand. It doesn't connect, and why do I care? And I know I'm supposed to be into this, but I'm not. And Paul has, thankfully, the same solution for everyone, is to hear the gospel again. To hear the good news again. And Paul, to these people who already have faith, writes this whole letter. Basically outlining what the gospel is, how it works, the insides and outsides of it, all the dynamics, to more than you'd want to know about the gospel, so that you might see how valuable it really is. You might see its goodness. So that is what we're talking about. All right. Now, we're going to actually talk about the gospel now. <laughs> not just how exciting it is. So if, if it's not that exciting, then we haven't understood it. That's, that's the thing. Or our hearts have grown cold to it. So let's, let's hear it once again. We're looking at verses 16 and 17. This is Paul's summary of the whole book of Romans of the gospel of God. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. He's not ashamed of this good news. It's, it's, 
It is everything. Now, why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. His gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God. We have to remember who God is. This is the omnipotent God who created the universe by his word. It's that power, the power of God, and it's poured out for salvation to save his people. Now, what is it not? It's not power given to us. It's not our power. It's God's power. It's not a sort of kind of a steroid that he kind of gives us and then, oh, we, we're just going to go save ourselves full of power. No. It's not a method for, for saving ourselves. It's also, it's not, it's not a life preserver. It's not like throwing us a life preserver and then like, you're saved. Like, no, it's not the power of God. That's like a tool of God. The power of God. The power of God is God, the Lord of the universe, like jumps into the water as the lifeguard, pulls you along shore as you're a limp, lifeless body. That's what this is. This is God exercising his power to save. This is what God does, not what we do. And who, who gets access to this? We see that it's all about God when it's two groups of people. It's the Jews and the Gentiles. And they get it the same way. They get it by believing. You see that? To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And that's where it's not about goodness. It's not about trying hard. It's not even about knowing a lot. Because the Jews, the Jews were the good ones. They knew all the laws. They were moral. They, they tried their best. Then you have the Gentiles. They don't know anything. They're doing who knows what. They're drinking blood and doing crazy things with idols. And, you know, both, both groups, both groups is saved simply by believing. That's it. No other strings attached. Because it's believing in God's power, not creating power in themselves. It's all that matters. That's how you receive good news is by believing, not by performing. Now, how does this gospel actually work? Now, bear with me in this one. Verse 17. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The gospel is a revelation. It's a revelation. It's, it's God showing us, not us creating. He's showing us, and he's showing us righteousness. Now, of all things, why would it be a revelation of righteousness? It could be a lot of things. It could be a revelation of forgiveness, or a revelation of mercy, a revelation of love. But no, Paul and Arizona on, on this specific word, on righteousness. Why do we need righteousness? We're living in a culture that isn't saying that righteousness is the greatest thing that we need. That if God's going to do anything, we want a revelation of his, his acceptance. 
of his, his tolerance. Maybe we want a revelation of God's help. Of his comfort, maybe. But God, God, he is up to something bigger than that. And he knows that we need something more than help or comfort, that we need righteousness. That that is our deepest and most profound need. Now, do we believe that? Do you believe that's, that's ultimately what you need more than anything else? Is righteousness. What is, the, what is the root of every problem in your life? Sin. Sin. All right, good. Good, Tukarskis. Well done. Uh, sin is just another name for unrighteousness. The root of every problem in your life is unrighteousness. The fact that you're not righteous, the fact that your neighbor isn't righteous, the fact that Adam wasn't righteous, and everyone since then wasn't righteous, that's why the world is messed up. That is your deepest problem, is unrighteousness. And when I say righteous, what do I mean? I, I mean perfection. Righteousness is perfection. It is holiness. It is blamelessness. It is not try-heartedness or, or goodness. It is perfection. And if unrighteousness is, is the biggest problem in the whole world, then God is dead set of, against destroying it. That he's not an apathetic God. And if he sees that unrighteousness is the problem behind everything, he's going to set out to destroy it. And that's what we want. we want. We want him to solve the problem. We act like, oh, God, God's not doing anything. No. He's going to destroy unrighteousness. He's going to destroy sin and solve everything. But the problem is that you and me were unrighteous. That we are sinners. That we are criminals. That we are part of the problem. And so if God is going to destroy the source of all evil, he's going to destroy us in the process. That we are all under the, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Now I just want to make something, something clear. Um, who gets into heaven? The righteous. The perfect. The blameless. I'm trying to think of an analogy for this. Um, all right, so let's say, let's say, uh, how do you get on a plane? You have, to, you have to pass through a metal detector. All right, a metal detector. And the metal detector, they let you through if you like just, you can usually get through if you don't have anything crazy. All right, if you don't have like a gun or a knife or like C4 strapped to your ankle, you're going to get through. It's not that rigorous. And I think we think of heaven like that, where it's like, if you don't bring anything crazy into heaven, you're going to be fine. Like, you're not bringing explosive, destructive sin into heaven. You're good. All right. That's the metal detector theology. That, that, that's the kind of how sin works. All right. I'm, I'm thinking that it's more like an MRI. All right. What is an MRI? A giant magnet, huge magnets... 
that are used for imaging. And if there's any metal anywhere, it's going to rip it off. And it's going to suck it there, and you're, you're going to know that it was there. You don't get away with zippers. You don't get away with buttons. They make you strip down totally, because if there's any metal, you're, you're done. If there are plates in your back, those get ripped out. If you had prison tattoos and little pieces of metal, like those get ripped out. All right, that's, that's what getting into heaven is like. It's that kind of scrutiny. That if there's any sin in there anywhere, you're going to get found out and you're going to get destroyed. You're going to get ripped apart from the inside out. If there's sin in your heart, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rip it out of there. And you're not going to survive. That's how you get into heaven. Now, who is righteous and perfect and passing that test among us? Raise your hands. <laughs> no, you're done. You're done. And that, that's the problem. That is our biggest problem. That we don't pass that test. And when God comes to destroy, he's going to destroy us. Because he's just and because we deserve to be destroyed. And that's the best thing for the world. All right, so how is that connected to our good news? Um, that's why, that's why he needs to come and reveal righteousness. He revealed it in Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ came, we talked about the, the incarnation, the, the Christmas part. He lived a whole life perfectly, righteously. So at every moment, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And not just like he didn't do bad stuff. No, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Perfectly. Always exactly what he was supposed to. He was the revelation of God's righteousness. And he alone is righteous. And we think, well, okay, great. Thanks for revealing that to us, God. You're far more righteous than we are. Well done. We knew that. And that's where the important part is that from faith for faith part. Look at the end of that verse. From faith for faith. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It's that God doesn't hoard that righteousness in Jesus Christ. And then he reveals it so that by faith we could receive it. And he reveals it to us so that we might have faith in Jesus Christ. In his perfection and his righteousness. And the result, the result is this quotation. Last part of this verse. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. What does that mean? Notice, this was God's righteousness. It, was, it used to be God's, God's righteousness. And now it's talking about this person who is righteous. Didn't we, already, didn't we just say that everyone is unrighteous? Now the point is, by faith, God gives us that righteousness and it becomes our own. 
It's a gift. It is free. Jesus just gives it to us. And that's the good news. It's that you are a hell-bent sinner. You are destined for wrath. And Jesus gives you his righteousness. That perfect life, he gives it to you. That's the gospel. And after he gives it to you, it's done. You don't need any more righteousness. You can't be any more perfect. Because Jesus has given it to you. And so when you go to heaven, and you stand before the gates, and I don't know who asks, maybe God asks, um, were you perfect? Were you righteous? Did you do everything you were supposed to do perfectly every time? You say, in and of myself, no. No, not once. But Jesus Christ gave me his righteousness. And that is why I get to heaven. That's how I get in. Glory be to God for that. And that is the gospel. That is what the whole thing is about. Which means that we're done. We're done trying to be righteous. We don't, we don't have to worry about that anymore in one sense. And we, we the problem is we forget. And that's why Paul is telling them once again, because we forget and we make it all about ourselves again. And we say, well, maybe I, need to, maybe I need to work really hard so that I don't lose it. Like, no, it wasn't yours to begin with. It was a gift. You can't lose it. Or we say, well, like, ah, oh, maybe my, my sin has messed it up. Like, no, it, it's, not, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Jesus didn't mess up. You're done. You're good. Or we think, well, maybe I need to pay God back for it. No, you can't pay God back for it. It was a free gift. That's the whole point. That's the gospel. And we live reminding each other that that too-good-to-be-true reality is the reality. That that is the good news. We don't like it because we don't have to work for it. And because it's too good. And all we have to do is faith. That doesn't feel like enough. But no, all you have to do is believe that that is your righteousness and you're good. Now that's some good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. And that is news that is, it's exciting to tell people that. Because you know what? People feel burdened and weighed down. Maybe you do. This is guilt and shame and I fail so much. That's a joyful message to bring to people. And to open people's eyes to see that. that they're, that's why this is called unshackled in Romans. Their, their chains come off. All of their performance is done and, and there's nothing left. They are free. And this is something that changes our lives and changes everything and is worth being like Paul and giving everything for. And so I would, I would ask you, do you have faith in this? 
Is your righteousness in yourself or in Christ? Do you get it? Have you received it? Are you done striving? Now, if you're hearing this for the first time, you're going to have lots of questions. Like, how does this work? How can Jesus do that? That's what, that's what we're going to be talking about, is how this all works. Why we're all under wrath. Why we're being judged. But this is the core message. And we're just going to get deeper and deeper into that, seeing how amazing it is that God would be willing to do this for us. So, I guess I'd just say, go, go worship. That this is good news. This is life. This is life eternal. And you have it only by faith. That's all you need to do. And you're done. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious and you are perfect and you are majestic in your wisdom. And we stand in awe of your grace. We stand in awe of the fact that you would give us something and, and require nothing in return. We thank you that you saw our sin, you saw our unrighteousness, and you decided to, to give it to us. Something that we could never earn for ourselves. Father, I ask that we would live according to that gospel. That we wouldn't start striving once again, pick up our chains and put them back on, but that we would be, would be truly free. Father, would you give us a great joy in the gospel that it would overflow to one another and to those outside of Christ, that we may be excited about what Christ has done for us. Father, change our hearts that we may worship you in light of what you've done. We pray in Christ's name.